And this message is uh, part two. And it is entitled, Jesus' Definition of Success. What do we do every New Year's? We have resolutions. I don't know how it ever started. I guess the sense of a new year is a new start and it's a new beginning. And we all say, well, all right, this is what I'm going to do in the new year. This is what I'm going to change in the new year. What's the motivation for that? I think the motivation for that is success. We want to lead a more successful life this year than we led last year. We all have things we want to change this year. It might be physical. We want to lose weight. We want to enjoy greater health. It might be financial. We want a better job or we want a raise. It might be relational. We want our marriage to be better. We want our families to be better. We want our friendships to improve. It doesn't matter the area of success. The fact is we're designed for success. And we want it. God designed us for success. He delegated authority in the beginning and said, you're going to rule in my name. You're going to carry out my kingdom. You're going to be the agent that brings my kingdom to the world. We're built to exercise power. We're built to rule and reign. We're built for success. In fact, I believe that anyone who's not looking for some form of success is simply waiting to die. When you no longer have any idea of success, you're just waiting to die. And it's really sad because there's so many people who are simply waiting to die. We're designed to experience success. We do not feel complete without it. By design. So, this raises a question. If we're designed for success, our definition of success becomes extremely important. If you have the wrong definition of success and you succeed, you've failed. Hello? If you have the wrong definition of success and you succeed, you've actually failed. You've wasted valuable time and energy and resources on something that isn't going to make you happy, that's not going to bring success. So our definition of success, as we make our New Year's resolutions, or as we look at our future or plan our life, our definition of success is absolutely critical. What is true success? What is true success? The the, the answer depends on who you ask. Because there are a whole lot of competing definitions of success that are out there right now. But there's really only two. There's the world's definition of success. What people in our culture, in our time, and even historically, have thought is success. And then there's God's definition of success. What if they're different? What if people's general definition of success is very different than God's definition of success? And what if you were designed by God for success? Then you're not going to have it without God's definition of success. Does that make sense? I mean, to me, it's just logical. I used to have, when I was 
first a Christian, I would try to figure these things out. I would, okay, now, what is right and what is good and what is true and what is worth doing and what is not worth doing and what should I pursue and what's my definition of success? And then I stumbled on this little Bible verse that became almost a, it was a formula and a key for me of understanding how I should define define success. And it has never left me, and I think of it over and over and over again, Luke 16, verse 15. And this is Jesus talking. This is the red print in the red letter edition of the Bible. This is coming from God himself. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Oh, man. So, at that point, when I read this, I actually thought, I think, I think this is the answer to all of my questions. All I need to do is look and see what the world and people around me most value, and I'll do the opposite. And I'll be right. Is that too simplistic? I don't think so, because I've been doing that since I was 20-some years old. 28 years old is when I came to the Lord. And... Um, I stumbled on this and thought, well, that simplifies everything. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom. All I need to know most of the time for what the right answer is is the opposite of what most people tell me. This verse tells us that people's definition of success is detestable to God. People, that's strong language. In our politically correct culture, God should be reprimanded. He shouldn't be using words like detestable. That's a value judgment. What Jesus is saying is that what most people in the world define as success is detestable to God. He's talking about the world's values. But I believe that the corollary is true. What God highly values, the world finds detestable or ridiculous or silly or incomprehensible. It goes both ways. What we have are two radically different definitions of success. So let's explore them together. All right? Let's look at the world's definition of success. And I've got my ideas, but I want to hear yours. So let's see if we stumble upon some of the same conclusions. Okay? If you, if you talk to your neighbors, if you talk to people at work, just, just the folks that you know out there in the world, and you look at Hollywood and you look at the news and you look at the educational system and everything else, what are the indicia of success? What are the components of success according to the world, the culture in which we live? Who said money? of the isms in the world. Materialism is the most powerful ism in the Western world. It is the ism that runs our lives. Money. So money. Oh, I love that. Can we go backwards? I want to do that again. What a sense of number two. 
I'm hinting. There's another one. What a sense of number two. Stop it. We're not there yet. Okay. Money, a fine house, a car, a boat. For me, it's a boat. Clothes, vacations. For me, it's a vacation on a boat. (laughs) We all have these things that we want. And we say, when I have them, I'm a success. And you know that bumper sticker? The man that wins with the most toys, the man who dies with the most toys wins. And we all chuckle, but we're doing it. Money. Number two. Power. Self-determination. Independence. Freedom. Being in command and control. Not being manipulable by other people. Self-determination. This is what I want to do, and I have the power to do it. And by the way, number one usually brings number two. They're intrinsically related in our world. They shouldn't be, but they are. Okay, what else comes to mind? Yeah, but happiness is it's defined by these other things most of the time. It's... hmm? Oh, we've got them all. You guys, could you please do that again? Fame. All right, we're going to get to that. Mary, you said physical beauty, a great body. Well, I myself understand that. <laughs> Somebody else said another one. We said fame. We said, we said physical appearance, a great body. Okay, let's do that. Physical physical beauty or athleticism, $55 billion in the United States annually on cosmetics. $55 billion on cosmetics. $60 billion for gyms and weight loss programs. A hundred and some billion dollars, a hundred and fifteen billion dollars. Listen, the Bible tells us our heart is where our money is. Where's America's heart? At the gym, pumping. It's in front of the mirror, pumping. Okay. Um. What else? What will, we, what will we make number four? It's not fame. I got fame down in number seven. These aren't in ascending order. Of, of It's just numbers. Okay? But what shall we put after physical beauty or athleticism? I didn't, I didn't even put entertainment on here, and it should be, because what we spend on entertainment outstrips all the others. So let's call it distraction. Do you know amusement, from the Greek, a muse meant. A, the opposite of, muse to think and ponder deeply. Meant is what we do. Okay? We have created an industry not to think. The purpose of, of our entertainment is to shut off our minds from thinking about things that matter. We call it escape. It's escape from the things that matter in our lives that really do need attention. Like a true definition of success, for instance. 
Thank you, Aurelia. That's a really good one. Next time I preach this, it's on the list. Well, I got another one. Physical pleasure. Physical pleasure. Sex, drugs, food, alcohol, rock and roll, you know. 90 billion in alcohol and 100 billion on illegal drugs. We care more about our physical pleasure than our bodies and our appearance. Just money, right? What we spend on it. We are a hedonistic culture. It's about physical pleasure as much as you can get, which is another form of amusement. Not to think. Number five, prestige. Being adored, admired, or even feared. Part of success. Number six, education. We highly value it. Number seven, fame. Achievement which elevates one to the top of one's areas of endeavors. And if you have any one or two of these things, you feel successful at least for a while. Because any one or two of these things are propping up on the outside what is not going on on the inside. Because ultimately we're going to find God's definition of success has nothing to do with the outside and everything to do with the inside. And this has everything to do with the outside and nothing to do with the inside. And all the outside is, ultimately, is an expression of what isn't happening on the inside or what is happening on the inside. But what defines you is not the exterior of your life. It's the interior of your personhood. That's what defines you. And until we have a definition of success which looks inside and worries about that first, all we will do is prop up a failing outside which is not a definition of success, it's a definition of insanity. Okay. What people value highly, God detests. Does God detest these things because any one of them is inherently wrong? Does God bring fame to people's lives? Does God bring wealth to people's lives? Does God make some of us incredibly good-looking and others like me? Sadly, yes. I've learned to live with that. I've adjusted. Oh, I mourn. Does God bring physical pleasure? He invented it. Sex was his idea. Did you know that It was a monk, God bless him, who invented champagne. It was a monk, Dom Perignon, who invented champagne. The Bible says wine gladdens the heart of man. Is God saying our life should have no pleasure in it? No. If that was the case, he wouldn't have invented all the flavors and the colors and the textures and fill the stuff that you cook which draws me closer to God every time I eat at your house. Is God against education? Of course not. 
Does he bring fame to some of us? Yes, he does. But these things are byproducts of something else. And when they are the central thing, they will destroy you. Oh, you guys, I forgot. I've been away all week. I haven't been home. And I stumbled across Steve Jobs' last words. Someone sent me a Facebook message with Steve Jobs' last words. And I printed it out, and I was going to bring it and read it to you today. It is the truest and saddest thing I have ever read. A man who changed our culture in the last few years more than anything has changed our culture in several hundred years. A man who is admired by absolutely everybody and his, his last words have to do with how he sees his life as a complete failure. Because he says he put his emphasis in the wrong place. And he achieved everything in the wrong definition of success. You should read it. I'll, I'll try to get it for you. And I wish I'd not forgotten. Do you have it there, Nick? Could you bring it up? I just, it just, just, I just found this so sad. But so true at the same time. I hope it's the same thing I've read or else I'm going to appear very foolish when it's Steve Jobs' laundry list or something. All right, let's look at this. However, oh, Nick. I tried to do something and my finger slipped and I hit the destroy button. A small European country just ceased to exist. What am I doing? This power thing is... Okay, thank you. Yes, stay here. However, aside from work, I have little joy. In the end, wealth is only a fact of life that I'm accustomed to. At this moment, lying on the sickbed and recalling my whole life, I realize that all the recognition and wealth that I took so much pride in have paled and become meaningless in the face of impending death. In the darkness, I look at the green lights from the life support machines and I hear the humming mechanical sounds. I can feel the breath of God and of death drawing closer. Now I know, now I know Hello? Now I know. When we have accumulated sufficient wealth to last our lifetime, we should pursue other matters that are unrelated to wealth. Should be something that's more important. Perhaps relationships. Perhaps art. Perhaps a dream from younger days. Non-stop pursuing of wealth will only turn a person into a twisted being just like God gave us the senses to let us feel the love in everyone's heart, not the illusions brought about by wealth. The wealth I have won in my life I cannot bring with me. What I can bring is only the memories precipitated by love. That's the true riches which will follow you, accompany you, giving you strength and light to go on. Love can travel a thousand miles. Life has no limit. 
Go where you want to go. Reach the height you want to reach. It's all in your heart and in your hands. What is the most expensive bed in the world? It is the sick bed. That could have been lifted out of Ecclesiastes. King Solomon said the same thing. When are we going to learn? When are we going to begin to define success the way God defines success? Now let's look at what God says about the world's definition of success. Are you ready? Number one, money. Let's read it together. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Not you shouldn't. You can't. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Okay, that's a dead end. Let's click that off our definition of success. How about power? Jesus called the twelve and he said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant. How about physical beauty? I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. How about physical pleasure? Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Prestige. For all those who exalted themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. What about education? Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, for since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. What about fame? God God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Is God saying that money and power, physical beauty, physical pleasure, prestige, education, fame, and amusement, once in a while, escape once in a while, is he saying that these things are wrong? Obviously not. He blesses us with money, power, physical beauty, pleasure, prestige, education, fame, and laughter. 
But here's the difference. When these things become our goal in order to be successful, we are failures in God's world. Period. These things have to be byproducts of something else, not the thing itself. And here's the truth of it. Listen carefully. This is really important. These things are only safe for us to experience when they are a byproduct of pursuing God's definition of success. When we're pursuing God's definition of success, all these things become literal blessings. They're good for us. They enhance and enrich our lives. They make our appreciation of Him even greater. We worship Him with even more adoration because of these things when He is the center of our lives. Then these things are not destructive, they're blessings. But when He is not the center of our lives and His definition of success is not our definition of success, these things are demonic. The resource which under one definition of success brings you closer to God becomes the resource which takes you further away when you have the wrong definition of success. They actually become works of the enemy. I've heard so many people say, why is so-and-so the Christian rich and this other Christian over here isn't? Maybe it's because this Christian over here can handle the wealth and isn't destroyed by it, and this Christian over here may be destroyed by it. Or maybe God didn't make this Christian wealthy. Maybe the devil made this Christian wealthy. The battle is interior. The battle is not exterior. The battle is in our hearts for our hearts. And that's all that matters. And that's the central issue. And success can't be defined apart from examination of the heart. When these things become our goal in order to be successful, we're failures in God's world. These are only safe for us to experience when they're a byproduct of pursuing God's definition of success. Now, this really raises a question. What is God's definition of success? I mean, we've looked at the characteristics. We've contrasted God's response to all these things, but we still haven't really hit on what is God's definition of success? If I'm to have a target, what is my target? Open book. Examination. What's the target? That's a byproduct of something else. Here's Paul's definition of success. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. For whose sake I have voluntarily lost everything. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. He is the reward. He is success. Knowing him is all that matters.
And I really like it that the most powerful Christian who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and established the Gentile church, which we are a part of today, who has done all these, (laughs) whose miracles flowed most of the places he went. He only didn't have it happen one place. Everywhere else he went, there were miracles. He, he um, He raised dead people. He's teaching in a meeting, and a woman falls out the window on the second floor, and she's dead. And he goes down and brings her back to life and then finishes the meeting. And the guy is amazing. And his definition of success isn't those things. He's not even saying, I'm successful because look what I did for you, Lord. He doesn't care about that. He cares about being faithful, but that's not the measure of success. His definition of success is really simple, knowing Jesus. All I care for is to know Jesus. And he even throws in crazy idea. I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. His definition of success includes sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. How can you call that success? Because if you really want to know Jesus, you don't just know him on the road into Jerusalem when everyone's waving palm branches and saying, Jehovah, Jehovah, Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We now have the Messiah and everybody's celebrating and he's great. And a couple of days later, he's on a cross dying. Paul doesn't just want to know him in the high moments. He wants to know him in all his moments. So he can say, all I care for is to know him and to share in his sufferings. So that I might also share in the high points. Paul's got his spiritual head screwed on right. He really gets it. Success is knowing Jesus. Everything else is a byproduct of that success. Nothing else matters. And when you lie on your deathbed, that will be the only thing that you have. As you face eternity and you're getting ready to breathe your last breath, The last thing you have is the only thing that can't be taken from you. Your relationship with Jesus. And it is the thing that takes you into eternity. It is your your entry pass. It's your passport. It's what defines you. And it also defines you for eternity. People, this is important. This is success. This is the only thing that works. This is what you're designed for. This is the purpose of your life. It's not the great things that you do for him. The great things that you do for him don't define you. They're the byproduct of what does define you. Your relationship with him defines you. We sang it this morning.
I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. But godliness with contentment is great gain. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Success is knowing him. He's the reward. When you make knowing and serving him your definition of success, he becomes responsible for adding whatever else he believes is best for you. And contentment is believing that and accepting that as a truth. Your success is not your responsibility or your burden. Letting go of the world's definition of success is what frees you to pursue Jesus with all your heart. Let me say that again. Letting go of the world's definition of success is what frees you to pursue Jesus with all of your heart. Growing in your relationship with Jesus then frees you to let go of what the world defines as success. It's a snowball effect. A number of years ago, I stumbled on this verse in the Psalms. It's only one line. And since I stumbled on it, it's become my life's goal. And it has just helped me so much to reorientate my definition of success and peace and joy. And it's this. Whom have I in heaven but you? Being with you, I desire nothing on earth. Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven but you, and being with you, I desire nothing on earth. Now, I want to paraphrase Paul's words in my own life. Have I attained to this? No. I can't say that I desire nothing on earth. But I'll tell you what, since realigning my definitions of success, I desire a whole lot less on earth than I used to. And I'm free from what the mystics called inordinate attachments. I'm free from all those clingy things in the world that wrap their arms around your heart and try to take it. More free all the time. Whom have I in the heavens but you and being with you? I desire nothing on earth. And every time I come to be still with him and quiet down and reorientate my thinking and clean my spiritual glasses and redefine success, I, I pray this psalm. And I'm just reminded over and over again, Jesus, you're the reward. You're my life. Everything else is incidental. You're my life. You define me. We sing that one too. You define me. You live in me, and I live in you. How about this? is your definition of success. 
for 2016. What do you think? Okay, let's close our eyes and apply this. Close our eyes. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit some practical questions, and I think he's going to answer them. Whom have I in the heavens but you? In being with you, I desire nothing on earth. What stands in the way of that for you? Holy Spirit, would you please reveal to us what it is that has captured our attention in a way that makes that difficult? What are we worried about, Lord, that gets in the way of that truth? Lord, what are we going after that is a distraction from that truth? Lord, that you would reveal that. Holy Spirit, what's the answer to that question? Please show us where our definition of success is off. What's in the way? What's competing for my attention with you? Has he shown you something? Give it over to him. Father, what do you want to say about that that thing? What do you want to say about that false understanding of success? What's your truth?
free of those inordinate attachments we want to pray for you if you've got a physical need any kind of need at all we want to pray for you we all need a God encounter a lot so if you've got any need whatsoever and you want some help with the God encounter you come up now and prayer team why don't you come we'll pray for whatever it is that you need prayer for will help you adjust your definition of success too. If you want prayer, come forward. Otherwise, go eat some sugar.